Thank you, Hunter, and thank you, Wilmer. For Man, it gets us excited, doesn't it, seeing the great things going on. And praise be the God, the efforts, and pray that more and more people will be connected through what's going on in this discipleship that's happening here at High Point. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 12. Uh, John Herzog did a great job last week with chapter 11, the second part of that, talking about communion. And what, what a crazy time that must have been, because communion was designed to be a time where you come together, and it's almost like in, in marriage, a renewing of the vows. But it's this covenant you've made with God, you celebrate what Jesus has done, and you had some folks that are showing up early, and they're eating all the food at the potluck and uh, partaking in way too much wine, and then others are coming in after working in, you know, in the fields or in their other jobs and coming in going, what is this? And it didn't feel like communion. And so Paul addresses that. And so Paul's going to get into talking about something else that happens within the assembly, and as Christians, we have to understand that what we do during this time is just a small portion of our faith walk with God. But the other six days a week and other time, we're out in the community, and we are the, the hands and feet of Jesus, and we are Jesus to our community. But on the other hand, what happens in the assembly does matter, and, and Paul spends a great deal of time talking about this gathering because it's an entry point for a lot of people to come find out. And so he wants to make sure that how the church is acting in the unity of the church is then translated to make the gospel attractive. So let's read together in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed you know, a, a lot of people, when you start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there, there's almost kind of a conscious or, you know, a subconscious, take a step back going, whoa, we know some churches that have gone crazy with the Spirit. And so anytime we even start talking about that, we're like, oh, man, this makes me nervous, right? And, and so what Paul is addressing here is these spiritual gifts. Well, why is he bringing them up? Well, because the brothers and sisters that are gathering there have kind of gotten off kilter. And, and they've kind of gotten confused. And it's, it's, it's like they've been given these gifts, but they're using them in a way that's brought about a lot of confusion. And it's brought about a lot of division, if you can imagine. What God intended for good, suddenly they're arguing about it. And so Paul says, time out. Okay, we covered the head coverings. We, we covered communion. Now let's get on to what's happening as we're trying to grow together and those that are spending time exercising their spiritual gifts. He goes, we've got to recalibrate here. We've got to have a correction. Well, it appears some within the church are, are not just um, exercising their gifts, but they're kind of putting together almost a hierarchy. And guess what's at the top of the list? Tongue speaking. And so they're like, if, if you can do this, okay, uh, then you're in the club. And, and it almost became almost like a test of fellowship and, and a test of who the spiritual ones were. That if the Holy Spirit can give, allow you to speak in a tongue so foreign to man that's only foreign to God, then you must have a direct line to God, and therefore 
you must be a little higher than those that, well, haven't been blessed with the gift of speaking in tongues. So Paul's going to talk about this. He's also going to shut down this flawed way of thinking that if you're not able to do this, you're not truly a Christian. He goes, no, to become a, a Christ follower, you say the name of Jesus and you welcome Jesus. That's your entry point. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. So what Paul is teaching is that all of these gifts and all of these activities that you guys are, are arguing and dividing over, they come from the same source. They all come from the same place. Notice what he does again. Just as earlier in this letter, he brings up the Trinity. Paul says, you need to look at how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit defer to one another in this big triangle where they all are working together and are unified. Let's read this again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but it's done into the same Lord, Jesus Christ. And there are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in every, it's been the same God, our Heavenly Father. He's the one that's at work. So why are you arguing about these things? Look to the unity that we have in the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and learn from that. Embrace it. And, and use that as your model, your, your go-to, as you work together as a congregation. So what's our first point? Each of our gifts come from the same source. It's all from God. So that's our first thing that we've got to, if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about all these spiritual gifts that sometimes make us nervous, just realize that they all come from the same source. So if some of us are gifted in different ways, that's okay. It's not like, well, I received this from over here, and you received this. No, it's the same source. It's God at work. And so if it's the same source, God has a plan. We just need to realize God's gifted us and blessed us with the ability to fulfill his mission and his plan. So let's keep reading in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, this word manifestation Phanaresis, Paul means it, it's like you have received God and, and you pledge yourself to Jesus. And this gift of the Spirit, this manifestation, it is a way to verify in you and others that you have received this. It becomes concrete way of seeing things. It's a visible manifestation that you have gifts that come from you being united with Jesus Christ. Maybe remember the story in Acts chapter 10 where a reluctant Peter's at the home of Simon the Tanner. You remember, he's hungry, he's waiting for lunch, and he gets the vision of the sheet coming down. 
three times. And, you know, he's like, get up, kill and eat. And he's like, no, I don't eat those unclean foods. And, oh, you know, no, if I'm telling you to eat, they're no longer unclean, Peter, come on. And they go up and come down. And finally, there's a knock at the door. And it's Cornelius uh, has sent this entourage. Hey, our master wants you to come. And Peter's like, oh, okay, now I get it. And so the, the whole time, Peter goes, and he's traveling with other circumcised believers. And, and they go into this Gentile territory, and, and they show up at the house of Cornelius. And the whole time, Peter's like, Lord, is this really what you want? Are you sure? He's a Gentile? Okay. Cheat. Okay. All right. I get it. And so he starts presenting the gospel message. And, and before he can get to the altar call or the invitation, what, is, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down. And so these people are like, oh, okay, yeah, tell us about Jesus. Tell us. All of a sudden, they start erupting into these audible tongues. And other people are singing, and they're lifting praise to God. And some of them are just loud, and they got the Holy Spirit has come down on them. And Peter's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't wonder if God's up to this because his Spirit has already descended upon them. Let's go get baptized. You'll hear the rest of my sermon later. Let's come on. Let's go. Because God's obviously has demonstrated, I want this to happen. And so the Holy Spirit has come on. And so we need to realize when we receive gifts, we need to realize they're from God, but they're from the same place, but they also serve the same purpose. So point number two is each gift is intended for the common good. See, they all come from the same place, and they have a purpose, and that is not to glorify you. Yeah, I've got God. Can you see my gifts? No, it's for the common good that these gifts from God through you are designed to benefit those around you, to minister to others. Verse 8 says, To the one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of healing, if you can imagine, by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between the spirits as this person is prophesying. Uh, to another is speaking in different kinds of tongues. And, and still to another group, the interpretation of what that person was saying in their tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So, if you're like me, we get this list that makes us kind of nervous. But it's not just this list. It's also the list we have in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4 as well. And so you kind of pull all those together. And I don't think Paul or Peter designed this to be an exhaustive list. He's like, God's going to give a bunch of gifts. Here's a few. But you kind of start pulling them all together. And, and you assemble these lists. You put them on a paper. And, and then we start kind of putting them into categories, don't we? Based on our upbringing, here's kind of one of the first things we, we do. 
uh, is we look at all the lists and we start marking off the ones that have ceased. How many of you were raised in a church where you're like, okay, mark that one, that one? The Holy Spirit used to do that, did some cool stuff. But then he retired and kind of wrote scripture, and that was kind of the end of the, of the time. And when the apostles were gone, well, all these gifts were gone. Were, were y'all raised? Yeah? And so we, we immediately kind of, kind of marked those off, and we're like, okay, that was cool. Don't expect that now, right? And so then we, we look at the list to get those that are remaining. We're like, okay, these are for men only, and the rest are for men and women, because why would God gift a woman for something they were forbidden to do? And so we kind of do this two-list thing here. And, and so in a lot of ways, uh, it helps us because it's neat, and it's organized, and it's clean, and it allows us to talk about something that's so nebulous out there as the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and what God is up to and go, let's pull this thing in, stay out of the ditch on this side, stay out of it this way, let's keep it on the road here, let's put some parameters front and back and sides, and let's kind of, let's reel in the Holy Spirit. The only problem is, uh, on this subject and others as well, it, it doesn't come off that easy, does it, when we start reading Scripture? We kind of put these parameters on things so it makes sense and so we can articulate our faith. But the more we begin reading Scripture and Scriptures that weren't shared to us by the people that were helping put those parameters in place, we're like, what about this one? We've used this example before, but, you know, with alcohol, you know, first you, you got the very unstable first, uh, the first time that Jesus comes and, and starts his ministry, he didn't want to, but his mother came to him, he's at the feast in Canaan, and turns the water into wine, and so, you know, a teacher's like, whoa, but that was just grape juice, wasn't real wine, uh, but then you kind of read a little further, the passage they didn't tell us about, that the, they took it to the guy that was over the wedding feast, he's like, oh, this is the good stuff, why'd you hold this up? Why don't you wait till the people had too much grape juice, right? To, and this, and you're like, that didn't fit in. I was kind of told that, that non-Christians drink and, and, and Christians don't. And so that becomes a mark. And so we can quickly discern by those at the Rangers game that have beer and those that don't. And, and so we, we, we kind of separate these things and it becomes neat and clean. And then we read Paul talking with Timothy, who's dealing with all kinds of struggles with the church in Ephesus, and people are giving him heartburn, and his stomach has got ulcers. He's like, why don't you take a little wine at night? You're like, why did he do that? That kind of knocks over my apple cart. I had this all done. Why couldn't he have just healed Timothy and go, oh, by the power, you know, spirit, go heal his stomach. He goes, now take a little wine. What about demons? Mark, Mark chapter 6, Jesus has just given the disciples just enough knowledge to where they're dangerous. And they don't know enough 
to know that they don't know enough. But he sends them out two by two, and they go walking out, and he gives them just enough power, once again, to be dangerous. And so they're able to cast out demons, and they're able to drive out spirits. You're like, yeah. And they come back, and they tell Jesus what's taking place. And Jesus is like, oh, that's awesome. Three chapters later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. The rest of the nine are left down below, and they're kind of waiting. When those guys coming down, well, while they're there, they encounter a man who has a son who has this evil spirit that causes this poor kid to jump into fires and to roll around and froth at the mouth, all, all kinds of stuff. And so they're like, well, we just got back from our mission trip, and by the power of God, come out. Everyone's looking, and the young guy is still frothing. He's still rolling around. They're like, well, hmm, why don't you try? Okay. And so they say it again, and they're trying, and they're trying. Finally, here comes Jesus with Peter, James, and John down, and they're like, what's going on? And the father's like, well, these guys are disciples of yours. They said they could do this, but huh, apparently it's not working today. And Jesus is like, okay. And so he picks up the boy, and he drives out this evil spirit. Sends the guy and his, and his dad along on the way, and everyone's happy and rejoicing. And the disciples are like, um, how come three chapters before we could do it, but in chapter 9 we can't? He's like, this one's a little different. You have to drive this kind out by intense prayer. They're like, oh, okay. But why didn't it work? Why did God work here but not there? It's just very confusing for us. And then, you know, we get into healing, and we're like, okay, sometimes there's people that are healed in Scripture, kind of like when we pray for folks and put them on our list, and we're just amazed. And sometimes the doctors are like, we can't explain it. Something miraculous has taken place that modern medicine can't explain. We're all like, oh, God. Other times, we get put on care lists with thousands of believers praying for a heartbreaking situation, and the healing doesn't come. What do we do with that? Acts chapter 19, Paul is going around healing all kinds of people, and he has so much power coercing through him that even an apron and a handkerchief still has that much power that they're taking it from village to village and going, by the power of God, and, and it touched Paul, be healed, and it did. In Philippians chapter 2, He's writing to the church of Philippi, and he's like, thank you guys for praying for Epaphroditus who almost died. Why, Paul? Why did Epaphroditus almost die? Couldn't you have called down something and healed him? Why does the Spirit come here and then go there? Why does the Spirit act here and then steps back there? And so our little boxes kind of get blown up. Why is that? What, what, what about faith? Uh, it, it appears sometimes people aren't able to receive healing because they have a lack of faith. But then in early parts of Acts, you have Peter and John walk up to the temple. There's a beggar there. What's he asking for? Money? 
They said, well, we don't have any silver and gold. How about we heal you? Pick up your mat. And the guy's like, whoa, okay, that's awesome. But he wasn't really even trying to get better. He just wanted cash. Why does it have to have faith here and not there? I, I don't know. The disciples got confused one day when they saw a man who was blind. Because in, in those days, if someone was blind, there's been some sin that's involved. For this abnormality to happen, you must have done something wrong. And so the disciples are divided. Some are like, this guy did something. Come on, confess what it is. Others are like, no, no, it's his parents. And so they asked the guy, he's like, I didn't do anything. I was born blind. Maybe you did something in the womb. Did you eat your twin? I mean, what, what happened here? If you're born blind, something must not happen. No. Okay, it's your parents. And so the parents are like, don't look at us. He's his own entity. And Jesus is like, it's neither. You, you want to put yourself in this camp or this camp. It's neither. Sometimes God does something to bring glory to his name. And so he healed him. Oh, okay, okay, it wasn't this, it wasn't this, it's this. Can we make a rule? And God's like, no, I, I just want you to trust me. Stop making everything so black and white. Just allow the Spirit to move and do what it's supposed to do. We don't like it when we don't know what the Spirit of God is going to do. And we don't always understand this, the ways of God. We need to be okay with that, don't we, church? Can I get an amen from someone? We, we've got to be okay that God is up to and doing things differently than how we would do things. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, Paul says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's our calling as well. When people come at you, what about this? Well, what about this? I don't know. I'm just a steward by faith of what the mysterious God that I can't nail down is up to. But I do so by faith in him. I don't want to worship a God that I can know everything about. I don't want to worship a God that I can control his power. I don't want to worship a God that I have to come up with what next steps are. It's our Heavenly Father, and he's a great God. And we, by faith, are stewards as to what he's up to. We're stewards of the mystery of God. Romans chapter 11, Paul says, his ways are unsearchable, and we can't figure him out, and that's okay. But there are things I don't quite get, and that's okay, but we're on a journey together. First Corinthians 12 verse 11 says, all these things, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. In one way, it is good news that we don't have to figure that out. And another way, it's very scary when we allow God to be God and his spirit to do what God's spirit is going to do. 
That's where the faith part comes in. See, faith isn't just making a decision that I want to be baptized and say I'm with Jesus. No, that's first step. That's starting place. We step over and say, yeah, I, I want to be baptized. And I want to show people that I believe in Jesus. That's great. Your journey of faith doesn't end there, church. It just begins. It's a way of saying, God, I trust you in all of this, even though it makes me nervous, but forgive me when I try to put parameters around what you're doing. We look at this section, and there's kind of three groups of gifts I want us to look at. The, the first group is, is kind of the words of wisdom and, and the words of knowledge, so it's probably describing the gift of the person that was designed to, to teach and to bring about the wisdom of God and proclaim the gospel message. That, you know, we put, put, get an indication that there's probably a primary teacher that's trying to teach over things. So that's what's going on. But in chapter 11, they also have a congregation that's also sharing different words from the Lord. And kind of prophecy, God put this on my heart, and there's people there, they're discerning. Okay, that matches with Scripture. No, I think that's some bad arugula you had or something. That's not, that doesn't fit up with the Jesus story. And so what's happening here is there is this teaching position, and there is this teaching among us, okay? The second group appears to be, and this is where we get kind of scared, the various miraculous activities and these manifestations that kind of get us, oh no, I don't want us to go Pentecostal, right? And so it reminds us of Galatians chapter 3 where the God who pours out his spirit upon you and, and does miraculous things among you. Are, are you ready for that type of, of spirit? And so it's a group where like, no, I chose this church for a reason, right? And, and so we, we want to dismiss that. Steve Allen is a good friend of mine, lifelong friend, grew up at the A&M church, ended up going to Deer Run with me. He and I went through the internship in St. Louis, came from a very conservative background, very conservative family. His father was a shepherd for years down at the A&M Church of Christ, good family. So he and his team go over to Thailand, and about a year and a half into their work, after they'd gone through a lot of the language training and started connecting with people back in the villages and on some of the college campuses, he, he sent me a note, and he said, Brad, you need to know that our sponsoring congregation has cut us loose. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, well, um, we've been kind of doing some of the stuff that we see in Scripture. And I'm like, Steve, why? And he goes, well, he goes, we realize that we need all the help we can get. And so we ask the Lord's Spirit to occupy more of who we are. And these are some things that started coming out. And I'm like, Steve, I've never experienced that. He goes, I haven't either. He goes, the only thing we can rationalize is, number one, we prayed for it, and we were open to whatever God was going to do. And number two, we're in a first-century type mission that these gifts help to proclaim Jesus Christ. And so I have to wrestle with something I haven't experienced and say, God, I'm not going to limit you even though it makes me uneasy. 
God's going to do what God's going to do. And, and finally, group three was the tongue speakers. You know, th- this is the, the kind of the identifying thing that Paul's wrestling with and the thing that's kind of prompted this long section on what to do in worship. And so to clarify, he's talking about a spiritual speech. It's not like what happened at Pentecost where various languages were being utilized. Um, so, you know, anyone speak German? Yeah, well, here, and here go. no, that's not what this is. This is a spiritual language that you have to have an interpreter who's also gifted by God to help understand. And so this is what they're putting forth. And what does Paul do? Oh, he kind of takes a look at this. He goes, y'all move this way up to the top. I'm going to put it at the bottom. That this isn't exactly what you think it is. And in fact, in chapter 14, he's going to go in and talk about how that, boy, you really need to elevate this and put this even further down. But they had kind of gotten that confused. So they had... The people that Paul is writing to have to recognize, not only is Paul putting it at the list, there's a bunch of things above it, some gifts that they were downplaying so they could elevate the, this use of tongues in which they become so enamored. So we have to realize it's the spirit, not any Corinthian church member who determines what gift that they gift. Let's continue in verse 12. Just as a body... The one has many parts, but all of his many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or, or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given this one spirit to drink. So even the body is not made up of one part, but many. So how are we to understand the assembly? Well, Paul introduces something for the first time here, this idea of brothers and sisters coming together to form a body, a soma. And and boy, we do this in the ecclesia, the, the gathering of people. And so he gives this as a picture of the body of Christ. And so he's like, you guys come together and you form the body, and Christ's head is at the top to where you function together as one unit, both on campus, and then as you're distributing greater out there, you embody the incarnation of Christ to the community. So 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18 says, you guys come together, what are you doing? There's divisions among you, and you can't divide the body. You know, boy, you're supposed to be here together. And, boy, something special is supposed to happen when you bring all these forces and these parts and these pieces together to form the body of Christ. I don't think sometimes we feel that way. I think sometimes we're like, ah, I want to get them to go to church. What am I going to receive today? What am I going to get out of coming? And instead, we ought to be thinking, wow, this is Sunday, the first day of the week, where we get to gather as a church. We get to, something magical happens when the different parts come together to form the body. And there should be a sense of incompleteness if I'm not with the body or if the body is not with me. There should be something that feels weird about that because it's the one time of the week where we 
get to do exactly what God has gifted us to do and our purpose in life. So everyone is a part of the body. Okay, most of you today don't think about you being a body part. Okay, you can get this on Amazon. You have to be careful with the fingers. Okay, I mean, you could do this for, uh, okay, my son goes to A&M, so we'll do that. Okay, but so you've got, we're different body parts. And so throughout the week, we're out doing our own thing. But we realize when we come onto campus and come together that we were incomplete. Well, we come and are complete together with other parts of the body that are missing from our lives. Okay, um, so we're finally functional as God intended. Um, maybe you've seen the movie Super 8 or, or other sci-fi movies and stuff where you've got different parts that are all over a community. And then uh, these little things come together and metal starts flying from different parts. It all comes to, and it forms a spaceship. And they, uh, Okay, but this should be how we view the body, that we're all out there as body parts that come together. Maybe we're just the second digit on the pinky, but we, we come together and form something different. Um, how many of y'all remember the Adams family or grew up with the Adams family? Okay. Yeah, and the, there, there's a new movie that they've, they've redone this several times because some of the things originally more. But do you guys remember, who are the different members of the Adams family? Do you guys remember? Just yell them out. Wednesday? Okay, who else? Oh, uh, Uncle Fester, wasn't he creepy? Yeah, who, who's the tall guy? Oh, Cousin It with the hair? Da- yeah. Okay, the one that always got me was Thing. You guys remember this? And so you had this disembodied hand that would go around doing all kinds of wonderful things and perform different tasks, almost like, a, you know, hey, Siri, whatever, but, you know, hey, thing, go do this. And so it's like, okay, and it would go and do this. And so it never seemed weird that that was happening in their household. I, I think in the church, we've kind of become more like the Adams family, Right? where we have disembodied parts that are kind of doing their own little thing, and never is it weird that we don't come together. And so, boy, we've got to realize that we are incomplete if we're just into ourselves. So when we come together, it's not just to celebrate God, but it's a spiritual act of worship of coming together. Verse 21 says, Boy, the eye can't say the hand. Boy, I don't need you. And, and the head cannot say the feet. I don't need you. I guess I figured this out, and it, it really hit me during COVID that um, this whole idea of worshiping kind of together but not really together, I miss being with the family, didn't you? I, I, I missed being kind of together, but not really involved. And so I, I hope that if you haven't been able to come back, I, I, I pray that you will be able to. But I, I want us to miss being together. And, and I want us to come together. Verse 25, Paul says that there shouldn't be divisions in the body, that we should have equal concern for one another. And, and when we're having a struggle 
We all struggle, and when we're having a, something great happen, we throw a party together that we feel for one another, and we're connecting with one another. Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. What's our takeaway? Number one, commit yourself to the body. And say, I, I, Lord, I, I'm trusting you, but this is my church. These are my people, and, and I'm all in with this group of, of people. I feel called to be a part of this body. I feel like God has uniquely gifted me with something that I can contribute to this body of believers. Uh, like each of our brides, we're all flawed, right? But in reality, God says, that's Okay. But commit to this body of, of believers. And number two, commit your gifts to the body. And I'm not talking about resources, though money is, is great, but time, talent, and treasure. But if you haven't figured it out, figure out what part of the body you are. Francis Chan, Francis Chan talks about that he has right-hand people in his in his church that do a lot of, of stuff and help to, to, boy, contribute to the mission and the vision of that church. He goes, others are kind of the mouthpiece that can be out in the community and also on campus that are sharing and articulating what's going on. He said, others are the shoulder that carry a lot of weight. And boy, through the storm, they're, they're the bob, they're the beast of burden carrying the load for the congregation. And then he kind of goes on, and he goes, we, we've also got a couple of an appendix uh, with no discernible function or benefit to the body. And, and when they rupture, they kill you. So don't, don't be that, okay? But figure out what your gifts are. Figure out what your part is and say, I'm all in, and God's given me these gifts. Let me serve this body. And, and finally, just commit to pray for this church. Pray for this body. We're on a journey. And pray for God to lead us. Pray for God's plan to be revealed. And pray for God's will to be done. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you that you didn't give up on a crazy church in Corinth back in the day that was struggling. And Lord, you haven't given up on us either. And we just pray that your will will be done. That you will show up in mighty ways. Lord, that your spirit will fill us in unique ways. And Lord, that we'll use those gifts to your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit comes when we put on our Lord in baptism. When we say, Jesus, I'm with you. And so when you go into the watery grave, that's what it is. You're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you go in, you're like, okay, I'm dying to the old guy, and I'm going to put him to death in the waters as I go under, and I'm going to come out on the other side and sin is no more. Amen. Okay, but that's not the only thing that happens there. It's also where God gives his spirit so we can live differently in a way that brings glory to him, but also so we can live into the fullness of who he wants us to be. If that sounds pretty good to you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.